Welcome to another episode of Pod Bless Canada. I am Balkan Devlin, Senior Fellow at MLI, where I lead the Transatlantic Program. In today's episode, I talk with Tuba Mizargas, Resident Program Director for Europe and Euromed for International Republican Institute, IRI, based out of Rome. Tibo is also the host of Think Atlantic, IRI's podcast on transatlantic relations. In this episode, we talked about Tibo's recent book, War in Europe, From Impossible War to Improbable Peace, How Russia's War of Aggression Changed European Views of War on the Continent, Why Many Failed to See the Return of War to Europe, Where the Next Wars Could Erupt, What Needs to Be Done to Prepare for Such a Future, why Canadians should care, and what Canada can and should do to help securing our collective interests and values. Please enjoy this episode of Pod Bless Canada with Thibaut Muzagues. Welcome to the Pod Bless Canada, Thibaut. Uh, it's good to have you here. Thanks, uh, Balkan, for having me. Uh, it's great to be on the show. I want to start our conversation with uh, with your recently published uh, book from Routledge, War in Europe? Question mark. It's a very timely book. Unfortunately, it is a timely book. I wish it was a subject that you know, only three people pay attention to. Uh, but uh, with Russia's uh, war of aggression uh, against Ukraine, we do uh, see the importance of thinking about uh, what was once thought to be an improbable Uh, notion in the past uh, 50 years in, in, in Europe, a major land war uh, returning um, to Europe. So it is a very, very timely book. Um, and you actually go quite a bit in detail about how the thinking about war in Europe uh, evolved in the 20th century and what it could look like um, uh, going forward. So I want to talk a bit about what you wanted to achieve with the book, but also how uh, we can see you know, the upcoming uh, months and, and perhaps years Uh, when it comes to security and war and peace in Europe through uh, your analysis. Um, but the the origins of the book uh, has, a, has an interesting story. I had a chance to hear that before, but uh, for our audience, uh, how did you come up with, with the idea of the book and what was the sort of the, uh, the impetus for it? Yeah, sure. Um, so the, the, the book is, I mean, the, 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 the book's thesis, so to speak, is, is, is kind of self-explanatory. It's all in the title. Could say a Brit would say that it does exactly what uh, what it says on the tin. Uh, so the idea is to say war in Europe is much closer than we think. And when we say about war, when we talk about war in Europe, it's not only on the European continent because uh, it can also happen uh, inside the European Union, much closer to the to, to what is from an economic, geopolitical, strategic, etc. point of view, the, the the heart of Europe. So I started thinking, working on the book, uh, writing it actually, in uh, a place called Izium, which is in eastern Ukraine right now. It, it's currently under under Russian occupation. That's where I was when uh, when I started writing the book. And obviously at the time it was whenever, wherever you were in Europe, except this place, uh, I think, or except a few places like these, uh, you had the feeling that Europe was at peace and that Europe was going to, 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 to remain so. But uh, Being in Izium, uh, which is now under Russian occupation, uh, you you could feel already that war was already some sort of a reality. It was maybe not yet yet exactly war because war was was 60 kilometers further uh, uh, east in the in in the Donbas, uh, and 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 Ukraine has been uh, at war with Russia. Let's remember let's remember it since 
2014. Uh, so it, it was, you know, you, you you didn't have the feeling that you were at war. There was no, you know, bombing or things like that. But uh, you know, you could you could feel the tension. You could feel that half of the places uh, that used to be places where where where, where miners were going on, on on holiday in in the middle of, su- of the summer, these places were were completely empty, deserted. You had uh, uh, checkpoints. Uh, when you 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 were driving or going through the train a little bit further east of Izium, so so the reality already at the time was that we it, it was not so much. I mean, the, the feeling that you had was not that that it was war in terms of all out war, but we were already in Ukraine at the time, uh, and not even at the front, but we were already in a state of non peace. Basically, it was it it may not yet have been total war. Uh, at least not when you were not on the front lines in uh, in, in the Donbas, but but it, it was it was already no longer peace, right? And uh, uh, it, it's you know being faced with this reality that that that, that I I tried and, and apparently failed <laughs> to uh, tell my my fellow Europeans and also Americans and, and and British Canadian colleagues that that war in Europe was much 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 more fragile. Uh, than we thought, and uh, the, the the fact that the war has has started in Europe, that that Vladimir Putin, uh, you know, started a war in Europe, doesn't doesn't mean that the that that you know that this book is prophetic, and I hope it doesn't become prophetic because the the, the my thesis is 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 really to say that it's not only Ukraine, it's not only Georgia, it's the the whole of Europe. War is much more po- much more possible than it was. Actually, we went from a a, a a situation in which war had become quasi-impossible in Europe to a, a an area now where uh, peace has become improbable. And um, it's, it's, it, there is Russia, yes, uh, but there are other actors, including, you know, Europeans themselves, uh, that, that, that could make peace much more difficult to, to, to uphold in, in Europe. So that, that's in a nutshell what the, the book was about and how it emerged. During your research, I mean, I know you are particularly interested in these, you know, big problems and the technotic shifts. Your, your, your previous book, The Great Class Shift, looks at how the, you know, the re- realignment of the, uh, of the uh, social political um, uh, landscape um, in, in Europe also looked at that. When you, when you do your research and think about these issues, what's the primary drivers behind the thinking that, you know, that seems to still, uh, particularly in Western Europe, be prevalent uh, among, among Europeans, uh, particularly the Western Europeans, that war is something that happens to other people, uh, that it is, you know, it's something bad that happens to others and not here. Even even the sort of the terrorist attacks uh, by, by ISIS in, in the 2010s, you know, 11, and 14, 15, uh, did not necessarily shake that, uh, that belief uh, uh, broadly. Um, w- yes, there is big sort of long stretch of, of peace, but the, what, what, what leads to this sort of... Um, blindness or, or, or myopia, perhaps, as these threat emerge, not only from Russia, as you pointed out, but also uh, you know, other parts that are close to Europe and with the, with the changing, um, changing sociopolitical um, uh, landscape in Europe. What are the primary drivers, you think, as for this, for this sort of denial um, of what is, what is emerging, unfortunately? So I think that the main the main driver is, uh, I mean, you can blame it on Fukuyama if you want, but but, but the main driver is to to have thought that 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 Europe had achieved this sort of Hegelian 
paradise that you know history had was over and that that Europe was was had actually achieved perpetual peace. Uh, I think that's something that 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 was very present in in you know in, in Europeans' uh, psyche in the late nineties, in the two thousands, even in the early uh in in the early 2010s and uh you know uh, th- th- there is this saying um in in in, in Britain, the, the corridors of power in brussels that europe means peace which is you know, which had a different meaning when it started, right? The, the idea that the European Union has constructed peace is, of course, something that is extremely uh, that, that that is that is very true. But but there's not only this to that, so to speak. I mean, it's not only first of all, it's not only the European Union and the European project that has built peace in Europe. The presence of the United States and and, and you know both as a model and also as a force to uh, to protect Western Europe actually was crucial in in in, in peace being built in Europe. So the, you know, and then the first of all consolidated prosperous prosperous peace in Western Europe, and then the extension towards a Europe almost whole, free, and at peace. Um, uh, that 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 had to do also a lot with the with the United States. And then there was this idea that a sort of auto liberal idea that that you know now that Europe was uh, far from history, then everything was to become automatic, right? Um, uh, everything was to be uh, happening without, you know, with 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 an invisible hand. Uh, there wouldn't be any need for anything else, and everything would be okay. And during during the time in which we collectively, as Europeans, uh, thought that a lot of things were happening uh, underground. Uh, there's the resurgence of Russia, of course, the 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 the, the rise uh, of China. Uh, a certain resurgence of of Turkey. Uh, there, there there has obviously been a dramatic demographic push from countries around Europe that are uh, that are Muslim, with a a, 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 a in some countries really a, a self assertion of Muslim of the identity of being Muslim, which is something that Europeans are not comfortable with. Because for a lot of them, their identity, their original identity, was shaped against Islam. If you think about Spain, about Greece, you know, they, they, it, it's very hard. Uh, it has been very hard to uh, to come up with that. And and this at the at the same time as you know the the general mood was oh, but history has ended, so therefore it doesn't it, it doesn't matter anymore. And and while all of this and and many other things and you know social changes and all that was happening, you could see that the danger was getting closer. First of all, our societies uh, and, and and the European project uh, have become have become weaker, also by because because everything was thought to be automatic, uh, but also the the danger has, has got closer. When when you were talking about war in the early two thousands in, in in Europe, it was as you said, it was something that was happening very very far away. Um, uh, war in war when you thought about war near Europe in in two thousand and three two thousand and four that was something for Afghanistan that was something for Iraq that was something for uh, Ivory Coast maybe uh, Congo but but you know that was very very far, far away and you look already in the twenty tens it got much much closer uh, you know yes Iraq but also uh, Syria Libya uh, then Ukraine. Uh, obviously, Georgia also happened, and now it's it's getting you know yet again a little bit closer. And uh, I'd like also to to point out that uh, you talked about the the, the 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 terrorist attacks in 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 Western Europe in uh, 
uh, in 2015, 2016, this was very interesting because you had a the importation of, of small scenes of war in a very in, in a very localized area uh, for a very very short time. But one of the results was that France, which is my country, which is a country that was officially at peace, had more. Uh, when when I went to each time I went to Paris, I saw more uh, military personnel in fully geared in arms than I was that than when I went to Kiev. And Kiev was a country that was officially uh, at war, even though uh, nobody wanted to admit back then that it was Russia. So that it was at war against Russia. So you know, all of this is due to this sort of you know uh, uh, very. Unwillingness to realize that 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 peace was becoming more fragile, also because you know the the the, the atmosphere within Europe was was getting worse and worse uh, uh, by, by by the day, and that the failure to acknowledge that has led us to basically be surprised when 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 Putin launched his invasion uh, in in February, while. Nothing, absolutely nothing of what he did should have surprised us. He has been uh, for for months, for years. He has been very clear about what he thought about Ukraine. He has been very clear about what he wanted to do. Uh, there was Georgia in 2008. There was Ukraine. There was Syria. And, and none of what is happening right now is really surprising for anyone who has, you know, followed uh, what has been going on a little bit further out in Europe. So the question now is... Uh, uh, how how do we stop the process? And with the knowledge that you know, yes, there is Russia, uh, but this is not this. And unfortunately, this is not the only uh, uh, point of weakness uh, that we have. And Russia is 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 very clearly happy to uh, uh, to push on these on, on these buttons to uh, to make us more weak and and and, and to put us uh, in a weaker position and potentially. Uh, at, at war, not only with Russia, but also with, uh, with within ourselves and with with, with other countries. So, um, so yeah, this is this is what we uh, what we're facing today. It's not. I'm not saying that we are, you know, facing with the end of the world with the apocalypse, but we are facing several threats. Uh, the biggest of which, of course, right now is Russia. Initially, the with the with the reinvasion in in February created this visceral uh, reaction. That although it take couple couple days, uh, to be frank, for uh, EU and, and Western Europeans to come to the terms uh, and 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 decided to support um, Ukraine, but. It, among the public, it, it it led this you know revulsion and and, and visceral reaction to and the shock um, to to Russia's invasion reinvasion of Ukraine. Uh, but did that lead to when when you look at it, when you talk with people, not only sort of the policymakers but also the, the average European citizen, did that lead to a, a, an understanding, a recognition, a downing of the fact that? Yes, war is very much possible in in Europe, and yes, war is here, and war was here, and we we actually sort of uh, miss that, and and it will be here uh, for the foreseeable future. Or was that you know after the initial shock, um, uh, people sort of retreat back to the comfortable memories of oh, it is not really in Europe; it's it's it's, it's beyond Europe, and uh, no, we should be we we should be fine. We you know, do they go back to you know sticking their head in the sand <laughs> to put it in a different way, 
or or are, is there a, is there a sort of a recognition to it? Um, the reason what I'm asking is, you know, last week we are recording this on July 4th. Last week we had the NATO uh, NATO summit, and and the strategic concept was announced. Well, one of the things that that in, was announced there is this sort of new 300,000 uh, rapid reaction force. Um, we don't know the details, you know, who will be you know, supplying what capabilities and, and troops and so on and so forth. But it is clear to me, given given the Americans' um, uh, commitments and sort of uh, you know, plans and so on and so forth with, with regards to the Indo-Pacific and, and beyond, and, and the Canada doesn't really have the capabilities to provide it, the, the bulk of that need to be need to come from uh, from Europeans. Whether that will happen and whether Europe is is willing to make that particular investment and, and the populations uh, are, are willing to to bear that, that that burden is a big question mark uh, in my in my mind. And, and what's what's your sense of that? Is is this like a, a short term shock uh, Europeans felt with the reinvasion of Ukraine and now sort of get get numb and then thought that they could go back to the the comforts of the old old school? Or did this lead to uh, you know eventual shift in the mindset? I think there has been a real uh, recognition or, or you know lending so to speak by by many Europeans uh, with the shock of a full-scale invasion that frankly was not was what unimaginable for for many I mean we're, we're talking about not only the return the return of war it's not a special operation you know it's like war like in 1914 with huge artillery um, you know uh, artillery uh, uh, fire I mean artillery uh, fight fighting fighting in the uh, in, in the streets like in the 1930s like in the 1940s I mean uh, that has really shocked people I think Putin may, might have gone away with it and people would, some people at least, would have been ready to get back to normal had it not been for, for Bucha, for example, right? The, the, uh, the, the, the realization of war crimes on a, on a mass scale, which are right now going on at, on a massive scale in the Donbass and, and probably as well in the, in the, in the, in the Kherson uh, uh, Oblast, uh, you know, this this realization has made a lot of, of leaders realize that, no, this is, you know, this is this is the end of it. Uh, this we are not getting back to any sort of normal uh, afterwards. Now, that being said, and, it, you know, you, you could also see that, you know, for the the, the behavior of uh, Western leaders, it took a number of things to to really fully grasp what, what was going on. I think, you know, you haven't heard Emmanuel Macron, for example, talk about the, the, the need not to humiliate Russia ever since his, uh, his visit to, to, to Bucha. So I think, you know, this is something that is very, very important. Uh, but um, uh, there is another, another issue that, that we have here. Yes, people in, in their majority, except in a few countries, Italy is one of them, uh, but but the, even in in Italy as well, the, the great the vast majority of people have been have been shocked by what was what, what has been happening. There's been this realization of that oh maybe we're not as secure as as we used to be. But you've seen that uh, even though uh, Russia today and Sputnik are no longer working in Europe, uh, you can see that the the, the propaganda channels have uh, adapted. That there has been. Um, you know, in, in some countries more than others, uh, en enormous efforts uh, at uh, getting the, uh, you know, get, getting the message out that this was all the crises that were going to happen were the fault of the West, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's kind of working in some countries. I mean, if you look at 
Italy, the ECFR did a, a, a poll recently, which shows that in Italy you have 35% of people, which is not nothing, uh, thinking that uh, you know, uh, if only the West could the West could listen more to Russia, then we wouldn't have these problems. You know, it's 20, 25% in most other countries, so it's still a quarter. So, I mean, we're talking about a, a, a sizable uh, a part of the population that has fallen in for, you know, for, for what is, uh, let's call it uh, for what it is, what is Russian propaganda. And, and my fear, and I think this is what Vladimir Putin right now is really betting on, is that the more time will go, the more the home front in Europe is going to be uh, weak, and uh, as inflation, energy prices, the food crisis on the other side of, of the Mediterranean are going to go further than uh, Putin is, is, is betting that the, uh, you know, the Western powers will, will, will just uh, let go and, and, and be less supportive of Ukraine and allow him to score whatever win he can, he can score. And the, the problem with... with uh, allowing him to do that is that if we do it now, um, it will probably take five or six years because, you know, the, the, the Russian forces have been depleted by, uh, you know, by, by their invasion and thanks to the, the, the heroic uh, resistance of, of, of the Ukrainian people. But, but Putin will not stop there. We know it, right? This is the way the Russian state has always been doing. They, they stop when they, when they, uh, they feel they can't move forward anymore. They regain uh, resources and then they go back on the offensive. And they're going back on the offensive. It could be Ukraine, but it could also be because they have digested what they could digest in Ukraine, that their next, uh, that their next target is going to be the Baltic states, which are NATO. And it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't need a lot for that to happen. I mean, just a uh, a bit of a doubt about the uh, U.S. Uh, security guarantees in the Baltic states, which are, you know, uh, uh, an area much smaller than the, 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 the Donbass and Kherson region that are now under Russian occupation. And the Russians could be back at it, maybe not now, maybe not in a year, but in five years' time. And we'll have to, this time, there will be no uh, other option but to, uh, uh, but to fight directly against the Russians. And this is a, a, a message that we do not... Uh, bring across enough, uh, but but the, the European populations need to be aware of. It. I can't agree any you know more. The idea that if at the institute here, but myself as well, that we try to sort of hammer home is that you know if we don't want to pay pennies now, we will pay hundreds of dollars down the future. The people do not recognize that um, uh, Ukrainians are fighting not only for their homeland and uh, for their heart, for their country, but also fighting for us. That if if Russia is allowed to be successful, if 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 the lesson is that conquest pays, um, we will be paying a much dear price, both in blood and treasure, uh, down the road. So the 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 notion that supporting Ukraine is some sort of a goodwill act, some sort of charity, is is in my mind nonsense. It is enlightened self interest. It is. The right thing to do and the strategically the smart thing to do um, today to ensure that that Russia uh, is not successful and, and, and Ukraine is 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 victorious uh, in this war because as you pointed out uh, if this is you know allowed to stand and we we fold 
under the pressures that you have identified and you know and and, and the russian and propaganda and, and political warfare continue to work those you know uh, fissures within our societies continue to uh, to put the blame you know vladimir putin is, is is gearing up to engineer a famine in uh, in middle east and in africa uh, through its, um, its its policies so on and so forth we will be uh, if we end up folding we will be we will be i think uh, paying an important price but it's also i think a hopeful note here and i i, I want to switch to what the future might hold in a minute but a hopeful note here is that if we can continue to hold the line and provide what ukrainians uh, need in terms of weapons economic support and ammunition um, training and so on and so forth uh, there is only a short window of opportunity for uh, vladimir putin to continue to hold i mean you know it's very hard to judge these things, but my sense is that he cannot continue the same tempo and the same same structure and resources more than eighteen to twenty four months. Now that's a lot of lot of time, but this war is going to be a long and tough one. Uh, but it, in the aggregate, Russia does not have the resources that the West could marshal if we have the political will, and that will lead to the defeat of Russia. Um, and we have to take that. Um, uh, that, that that possibility very seriously that the next two years could be tough but if if we do not see this through we are going to be in for a much bigger security issue a uh, much bigger war uh, in the next the next decade so we need to i think keep that in mind when we uh, when we explain this to our our populations not only in europe but, but particularly here in canada we are even farther away from 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 the front in that sense what people see as the front but it is much closer to home, actually, than people realize. You talk about seven scenarios in the book uh, about the future uh, of, of war in, in in Europe. When you look at through that lens, what do you see um, the next uh, sort of hot spot, the next thing that we are now ignoring uh, largely and will be shocked and, and surprised when it comes like it did for, for the many, many uh, when, when Russia reinvaded Ukraine. What's the next thing that everyone is missing right now? So, Balkan, the the thing is always that obviously you you always you know you prepare for 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 a scenario for a certain scenario, and and you're always you uh, you you always end up being surprised because the either the scenario doesn't go exactly according to plan, or the problem comes from from elsewhere. In the in the book, I've tried to to mix things that were highly I mean that 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 were highly anticipated, like for example, an invasion of the Baltic states from uh, by Russia, uh, to some things that that may look much more fantasist right now. I mean, a, a Franco-British war over uh, over Brexit, uh, which would you know you would need to for that you would need to have a, a, a lot more hurdles to be passed before before we would get there but that's something that is not completely impossible and i, th- I think you're seeing you know already potential for civil strife in, in 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 northern ireland right now so we can't say this is what's going to happen but it is also true that there are spots that are much 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 more dangerous right now and if, if i have to choose two uh, i would uh, right now I would uh, choose the western balkans where you know the it looks like the the institutions the settlements that were inherited from the late 1990s are 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 really starting to crumble and i'm you know I'm, i know that there are a number of people in the western balkans and elsewhere who are doing their best to uphold it but it looks like it's it, it's it's very complicated right now 
to uh, to do so. We have a hotspot in the the, the Republika Srpska uh, in, in in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, the the relationship between Croats and 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 uh, um, uh, Bosniaks is is not at its best. We have an issue, let's call it like that, in North Macedonia. Uh, not only an issue with North North, between North Macedonia and Bulgaria, uh, but also a, a demographic issue between Albanians and Macedonians, and it could very well, you know, all, all the, the, these things could could be transformed into war. But also by the willingness of Russia, for example, in to to try and put a bit of attention away uh, uh, from Ukraine. So this is one one hotspot. And remember that in 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 the Balkans there are many. Actors that are present, the United States and Europe are trying to to stabilize, uh, but there's also you know the 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 uh, the Gulf states are present. Iran is trying to get a foothold. Turkey is also there, and Turkey right now tries to play a, a stabilizing role, but it's not a given that it will continue to do so in the future. And as we speak of Turkey, the other very very hot spot that we that we have right now is the Eastern Med. And uh, if I am, I mean, the way I look at the the war in Ukraine. Obviously, the war in Ukraine, and this is where most of the, the attention should be. But there are, there are two other fronts that we need to be very careful of. The first one is the home front, uh, you know, continued support and this, the West to stay uh, united. But the, the, the other front, the, the, the one that is upcoming, is the Mediterranean. Because the Mediterranean, and in particular the Eastern Med, is sort of concentrating right now all of the crises, both present and potential, that we have uh, that we have coming up as a result of the war uh, in uh, uh, in Ukraine. Uh, fun fact: uh, during the uh, Peloponnesian Wars of the of antiquity, Athens was able to withstand the. Uh, uh, the siege of the of the city uh, by the Spartans because their all of their grains were was coming from Ukraine. It was part of Pontoxan at the time. It was the, the the grain was was already coming from there. And so you know the Med. Okay, there is the Black Sea, and that's important. But the Med is the next uh, closed closed sea, so to speak. And this is where uh, you're going to see uh, a, a lot of the tensions on the food crisis coming up. If you want Europe to be less dependent on Russia, you're going to have to drill the Eastern Med. And that means tensions with Turkey, which right now is in a line, but Turkey, as we've seen in the, in the, the, the days and months coming up to the uh, to the Madrid summit of NATO, is it considers that it, it has its own partition uh, to play. And that p- partition is not necessarily always tuned in and aligned and allied uh, uh, with uh, with the West. And obviously the Mediterranean, if there is to be a major migration crisis as a result of uh, the food crisis or actually as a result of something else, then the Mediterranean is going to be at the center of it. And we're talking about a sea, the Mediterranean Sea, that is almost closed, that is connecting the East and the West, the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean via the Red Sea. Um, but we're talking about a place which is already extremely crowded right now. The Obviously, the, the, the Americans uh, are there and they are uh, playing the the, the role of, uh, of stabilizer. Uh, but you also have uh, the Russians who have gained a foothold uh, again uh, here, thanks to the war in, in Russia. The Chinese are trying to gain uh, a presence. The Turks obviously are here. The French, the Italians, the Spaniards, 
the Greeks are rearming fast, obviously the Egyptians as well. So this is starting to become a very crowded place and uh, a place where a lot of uh, a lot of conflicts are starting to brew. So I'm I'm very worried about the the, the Mediterranean. Right? No, I, I I completely agree. And like you said, East Eastern Med is particularly becoming crowded. It's very soon. It will be very hard to sail any ship, uh, given all the all the, all the navies. Um, uh, doing all all sorts of things um, uh, as well. I mean, I think the, the naval component will also be um, uh, extremely important, um, and and I, I'm not sure we're we're paying particularly uh, close attention to it, um, apart from the from the countries uh, in the region. Um, the I think I mean your your diagnosis of the situation, both in terms of the, the underlying factors why you know Europeans think the war uh, was very unlikely and, and shocked about it. And and I think you, your highlight of, of what, what Western Balkans and, and Eastern Med as as the next potential uh, hotspots that could actually sort of exacerbate this uh, even further spot on. But you also talk about in the book what to do you know, to paraphrase Vladimir Ilyich, what is to be done. Um, uh, you know, how are we going to deal with both the existing crisis, you know, as you pointed out, but the home front as well as you know the ongoing war in Ukraine. But but prepare also for these uh, upcoming um, upcoming challenges and hotspots that we need to, we need to keep an eye on. To uh, what what will be your sort of top two recommendations, uh, perhaps in in how to deal with it and, and make not only Europe more secure but also by extension the transatlantic area and and and, and lead to a, a more stable international order, which which Canada. Uh, and Canadians benefited immensely over the over the last seventy years. What is to be done dealing uh, with these uh, with these issues, uh, with the problems, challenges that you have identified? So, I mean, I, I'll try to be very quick, but there, there are three things to me uh, that that need to be addressed. The first one is uh, Europeans need to look at war again in the in the face, right? To accept that war is possible in Europe and that if we do nothing, if nothing is done, then uh, it is almost certain that war will be back, in, maybe not in all of Europe, but war will be back in Europe closer to the center than than, than, than where it is now. So that's, that's the, the first thing to do. And the consequence of that is that Europeans need to rearm. And I mean, they have a choice. Either they can rearm facing each other, uh, Germans and French and Italians and Poles and, you know, uh, uh, each and every one for, for himself. And that is a recipe for catastrophe. Or they can do that united. And, you know, obviously Europe is, is a very diverse uh, continent, uh, but it's, it has gone through a process of, uh, I would call, federalization. And the, the, that process must be continued. Uh, and, and when I say that it must be continued, it's we also need to understand what federalism means. Federalism does not mean only that there's a big Leviathan uh, that is sitting there in Ottawa or Washington or uh, in Brussels, but that uh, there is a real um, division of powers. There is a balance of powers uh, between, in the case of Europe, between the member states and the uh, and the great Leviathan uh, in Brussels, and uh, those uh, who uh, sort of are for more states' rights, so to speak, should not, uh, uh, for, for, from the moment that they are uh, that that that, that they, they they remain a loyal opposition, uh, should not uh, uh, see themselves or be seen as uh, necessarily evil people and and vice versa those who 
who want more powers for the center do not necessarily need to be seen as uh, as evil people. And I think that this is this is something that needs to be to be really put into the into the head of Europeans uh, a sort of a crash course in federalism and what it means and what it doesn't mean, uh, which is important. The problem right now is that um, the, the the way Europe is is made, uh, uh, Europeans are nowhere near. Uh, the, the 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 situation where uh, they can defend themselves faced with something like Russia. If they are disunited, they will fall one after uh, one after the other, and, and at least until uh, the Russians get uh, uh, to uh, to the gates of uh, of Warsaw. And that's not that's not what we want. So um, you know there is federalism, and there's also the the, the transatlantic alliance. I mean uh, the the reason why. Uh, Western Europe has lived 75 years of peace and a bit less for, for, for Central and Eastern Europe is because there has been uh, a, a sort of reluctant uh, leadership from North America and specifically from, from the United States to serve both as a barrier against, uh, against at least the Eastern threat, uh, but uh, also as a as a model of integration for for Europe, you know the idea of the United States of Europe is an idea that has sort of germinated in the uh, or, or grown in the ideas uh, of of Europeans as a sort of uh, a way to basically copy their victory. You have to remember the European project is a project between people who have been vanquished by. Uh, uh, 30 years of war between 1914 and, 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 and 1945. And, and the problem is that, you know, I, I know that this is, this might seem mesmerizing to hear from people in North America, but the, the problem is that today, if America, if North America was to pull out completely of, of, of Europe and let the Europeans to their uh, uh, to, to their own uh, devices, um, the, the 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 sort of warlike nature of Europe would would come back very soon. So, um, uh, so here we are. The the, the 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 you asked me three. You know what 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 needs to be done. Look at violence in the in the face. Look at the fact that war is possible. Uh, have a real uh, discussion about federalization and what it means. And finally. Uh, you know, make sure that the United States remain involved uh, in Europe. But then that doesn't mean that the Europeans should not do more to uh, uh, to pay for their own defense. But then, if 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 the Europeans do that, if we want them to be efficient, they will be much more efficient if they are uh, united. So we we need to be aware uh, of that. I could continue talking with you another hour, but I just want to close by asking two quick questions and bringing back back home here um, to Canada. The first one is, what would you say for the listeners, for the, for the Canadians, the you know the guy on the street, why this is important uh, for them too? Why why this is not something that happens far off, but this is this is key also to um, to Canadian security and prosperity. Um, what would be the one thing that you will tell them? The second question is, if you have um, five minutes with the Prime Minister uh, Trudeau, uh, what would you tell him in terms of what the, you know, the Canadian stakes are here and, and what, what's, what's your advice? What would be your advice to him if you, if you have uh, five minutes to talk to him? First thing for the, for the Canadians uh, who are listening and who might think that you know, this is very far away from me. Well, it's actually easier for me to talk to Canadians than, than, than Americans because the reality is that Canada is much closer to the Russian threat than the United States, because there is something that is called the Arctic. The Russians are extremely present and, and active in the, uh, in the 
our north. Russia is our neighbor to the north. Russia is not a country that is far to the east. <laughs> exactly. And they are and this is this is the place because also the melting of, of the ice. Uh, because of global warming, this is a place where they are extremely active and and probably the place where they are actually the most aggressive. So uh, I, I just would tell my Canadian friends, just uh, just just look at what's happening. And uh, you are actually uh, uh, much more v- vulnerable than you may think. And this is why uh, Russia needs to be stopped. And, and it's not only Russia. I think, you know, when we're talking about our way of life, uh, you know, there, there are two dictatorships that are that are bent on changing the changing the rules. There are revisionist powers, that's Russia and China. Iran is smaller, but that's another one that is that that, that is clearly intent on uh, uh, on on making our lives more difficult, and we need to confront them because there doesn't need to be that much change for the world as we know it uh, to change. I mean, look at at what has changed in just the past six months. I mean, we have technically uh, unbundled our economies with that of Russia. And we're, we're to, to a certain extent, not to a full extent, but to a certain extent, we are also unbundling uh, our economy right now with that of China. So, um, you know, this, this is something that is very, uh, that, that, that we need to be, that we need to be aware that there's a, a big confrontation uh, uh, coming up. Like, uh, I mean, not only coming up, but that, but that is there now. Uh, what would I tell Prime Minister Trudeau, apart from what I just said, but let's say we are in, a, in an elevator pitch, the, the only thing I would, I would tell him right now is that, listen, I know that ideologically it's, it's uncomfortable, but for the very short term, you need to drill, you need to produce more food because the, the balance of the world, it depends on that. And Canada, for a number of reasons, is uh, one of the less tapped reserves of uh, uh, gas and oil and uh, of, of food that, that can be tapped in, maybe not immediately, but in the, in, in the short to medium term. We can go back to you know, the idea of producing less, uh, and definitely we can already think about how we produce while polluting less, but uh, we, right now we need to get our, our, our priorities straight, and those priorities right now are very, very geopolitical, and, and, and the, 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 green, our, the green agenda must be uh, uh, a mid to long term objective, but but one that that does not supersede the the immediate problems that we're, that we are having right now. That's excellent. The top two you know contributors that Canada can do to to stabilize to to help with their allies and 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 to to actually push back both China and, and Russia is on the energy and the food uh, food parts and, and Canada can and should do more and develop the, the necessary infrastructure to do that. So that is, I think, a, a, an excellent, excellent suggestion. Well, um, Thibaut, uh, thank you very much uh, for coming to Podblast Canada. For our uh, listeners again, uh, the book is called War in Europe, From Impossible War to Improbable Peace, available wherever you're getting your books. So please do go ahead and, and grab it. It's an excellent read. I, I highly recommend it. And uh, once again, thank you very much for taking the time to come and talk to us um, and, and share your insights. Thank you very much, Balkan.